Hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume, and today's guest is Emily Weiss, the founder of Into the Gloss and Glossier. I really enjoyed our conversation that we had in my kitchen, and before she left, she gave me a box of face masks, and I can say that the non-beard part of my face is feeling damn fine. We are 16 episodes in now and have a bunch of exciting guests coming up. Hopefully we are keeping you entertained, informed, and inspired. Thanks for subscribing to us on iTunes and giving us ratings helps us out immensely. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, that smells great. Yeah, just nice like old-timey. Yeah. Beard bomb. Cool. Yeah. And that's right. my story. Thanks nice. for coming over. Yeah. Thanks for having <laughs> me. Okay. So now we'll start. Okay. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in, um, well, it depends on how far back you go, but I, I grew up in Connecticut mm-hmm. and I've lived in New York for, I'm 30. So I went to NYU when I was 18. So 12 years. Yeah. And yeah. what, what, what was it like growing up in Connecticut? Was it rural? Was it suburban? Uh, it was suburban. I think like northern Connecticut's more rural. Southern Connecticut's, it's a lot of commuters. So it's like everyone's dads kind of had jobs in the city and commuted right. in the city. And what was funny is uh, it's a big kind of Lily Pulitzer, you know, where I, with the town I grew up in was very into lacrosse, very sporty, very mm-hmm. athletic. And I was not sporting athletic. And in fact... I chose to be on the train with my friend's dads to go um, intern in New York. So I was I was already kind of one foot out the door to come to New York City. And of course, now that I'm like, you know, 12 years in New York City, I'm like, please, can I just go back to Connecticut? Like, right. You can just, I? You want to get out. And my parents are already like gone. <laughs> they're they're like in retired, like in the South. Yeah. So what was it like for you growing up there? I mean, even even like to go back before, like you were taking the train in for like internships uh, and stuff it was it was great i mean it was like <clears throat> I, I was i had a really like fortunate you know nice upbringing mm-hmm. like um you know it was a small town we didn't have a movie theater um until i was in high school we didn't we, in high school i remember they built this like complex and it was a movie theater next to a starbucks and i was like oh my god <laughs> yeah it's like frappuccinos um, you guys are hitting the big time. Yeah. yeah. But it was, I mean, my high school was, I think, a thousand people um, total. So in, from every, which is pretty, you know, it's not like super small. It's not, it wasn't like a super small town, but it was definitely not a big city. Well, how do you think growing up there shaped who you are? Um, that's a God, heavy hitting questions two minutes in. I don't know. I think, I mean, I did a lot of art in high school and I was always super into photography and ceramics and just just getting my hands dirty and um and I was a big theater nerd and so uh and I was lucky where did that come from I I don't know just probably being like a really hyper kid all the time like bouncing off the walls I was like the kid with the leash like I don't know if that (laughs) still exists but yeah you you, were you actually like like in a mall or like anywhere I was like the one who had like the like the the arm to arm like mom to child bungee cord have thing. You, have you talked to them about this? <laughs> I mean, it's not around the neck, but you know what I mean. There's like yeah. apparatus. There's like things that help you hold your kid to your like close to you. Yeah. So they don't go like off on it. And so I was I was definitely one of those. And so I think it was nice to have a, have a lot of creative outlets um, as I was growing up uh, in Connecticut and, and otherwise. 
That's cool. Were your parents supportive of the things you wanted to do? Always. I mean, in a way, I feel like they gave up on me a long time ago because I, I was so self-motivated that... Mo- uh, self-motivated to do what? Self-motivated just to do whatever I'm obsessed with at the moment. Uh-huh. And so that was everything from like starting this clay creations and more quote unquote company when I was like 10 baking like earrings in my easy bake oven and like selling them at a school fair I was always very like enterprising yeah I think they were just like just do what like go ahead have your lemonade stand have your you know like go take your pictures um they definitely didn't need to like I didn't need much encouragement yeah you know I wasn't like a kid that needed a lot of like hey you should really like you know develop some interests or like you know what, did you have brothers and sisters growing up? I have a younger brother. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he, I mean, we're totally, we're like so, so different. Um, but he's awesome. That's great. Did yeah. you terrorize him when you were growing up? Um, I put a lot of makeup on him. Yeah. Much to my dad's chagrin. Uh, I don't think I terrorized him, but I remember being like incredibly jealous when he was born. Yeah. Like I remember like edging him out of like pictures when I was like two. Like he was also really cute. Like yeah. really like blonde, white hair, like blue big blue eyes. I'm like brown hair, brown eyes, you know, just like your middle of the road like like dot like, you know, American like kind of girl. Yeah. Um so but no, I mean, he I didn't ter- I didn't terrorize him, but I definitely like you know, experimented like with a lot of like beauty and dress up mm-hmm. things with my younger brother. That's great. Does he thank you for that? Um, no, I, you know, he really should because yeah. it makes yeah. him a more well-rounded individual. Exactly. The, um, you know, what other things were you into growing up? I was actually, I actually don't even know if like people know this about me, like at work, I'm looking, I'm looking next to me at Sarah, <laughs> who's my colleague who's here. Um, I was, I am and was obsessed with animals. I'm like, so obsessed with animals i wanted to be a veterinarian at for like probably at least nine months yeah some at some point in my life but i had every pet you can imagine when i was growing up i had an iguana i had a turtle i had a pair of blue capped cordon blue finches i had a miniature uh dwarf rabbit named snowball i had at one point i was a tropical fish enthusiast and had not plastic plants in my aquarium but live plants which require like special lighting and all this gear it's like a very it's like an endeavor i was a big horseback rider um you have like a zoo yeah an aquarium i mean i never had all these pets at the same time you know but there was a lot of overlap and um and i was I'm, i'm really into animals i have a cat now who's like so adorable her name's chloe um and i really want a dog but i think I don't, I don't think I'm ready, <laughs> if I'm being really honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, would you be able to take your dog to work? Well, that's the thing. That's a perk of being the CEO of the company is I could, you know, whether or not people would, like, hate me for it, I don't know. But I think that depends. My whole philosophy on dogs at work, here's my thing. Like, there can't be too many. Mm-hmm. And also, the dog has to be well-behaved. You got to be a pretty chill dog. Like, it has to be seen and not heard. You know, it can't, you can't have like a maniacal dog running around the office. We have a little dog at our studio. He's like a little blind pug. So he just, he just, every time anybody comes in, he just starts barking just because he doesn't know who it is. Yeah. That's all he can do. But it's just, he's kind of still, he's still, he's pretty cute. You know? 
it's nice to have animals around. Like I it's think great so. to have like, you know, aren't there all those studies saying that if you have a companion animal and you like pet it for a certain number of minutes a day, it like elevates your serotonin and makes you a happier person. Yeah, I believe that. I feel like that's I a thing. I totally believe that. You know, growing up, were there were there people that you um, looked up to? Um, yeah. I mean, I became very obsessed with, <clears throat> I was never really that into like the celebrity thing. Um but I was always very, very into fashion. I used to like sew my own costumes for like plays and stuff. And then um, when I saw the movie Clueless when I was 10, like mm. many other millennial women. Uh, hey, I, look, I was there opening weekend. <laughs> you know, there were guys in the audience too. Weekend. I was. Um, and I, I bought all the clothes. I bought everything from Contempo Casuals. I like wore it on my first day of sixth grade like over the knee like inappropriate yeah. over the knee stockings high heel loafers it's like not what a 12, 11 how old 11 year old should yeah. be wearing um but i just loved fashion so i like read vogue cover to cover was really into beauty and was really into just this idea of kind of looking back like storytelling and so i i really appreciated um you know uh people in fashion like pe- designers and people in fashion who could who are able to create these really um complete holistic like worlds mm-hmm. in a way was there somebody who was like turning you on to this stuff or were you just discovering no, it on your own frankly it was like kind of just flying solo i, I think um it definitely wasn't my i mean my mom's like a big talbot shopper she's mm-hmm. like not you know a fashion plate um and <clears throat> no i think i just i just was always obsessed with like the mall and i would just get my information from probably there yeah I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. I mean, we just spent a lot of time in malls. Malls were great. The, malls were the place to hang out. Yeah. You know, like you get, I got like a whole film education. For, like, you remember like Suncoast Video? No. Did you guys have one of those in your mall? No. Like they were like, it was like a store that just sold like, you know, movies. Like it was just like VHS movies, you know. So that was your haven. My, that was haven, my haven was 579. Yeah. <laughs> 579. And like for a moment, I think like man- there was a store that sold Manic Panic and that was like the dangerous store. Okay, yeah, I was probably more in there. I was in that zone. I think it was not Hot Topic. It was like something else, and they sold. It was probably the equivalent of like Ricky's. Yeah. And it was like, am I really gonna dye my hair blue? Am I? Am I? I never did actually. I never like went there. What uh, what was the path that you wanted to take in life? Yeah. Well, when you're in high school and you're like thinking about, you know, what you're gonna do next, where yeah. did you have an idea of like what yeah. you wanted to do? Well, I think what's really funny about when you're in high school is, I guess, what's really funny just in life is that your aperture becomes so much more open to like what the possibilities actually are. Mm-hmm. Especially, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in high school now with your like iPhone or your laptop like in class. It's like terrifying. I can't imagine just how like informed everyone is at such a young age but, but like truly informed well you know, like at least deep- well no not i mean truly informed about whatever they're interested in right yeah. not like global not like worldly but just just you everything you can find out whatever you want but so don't you think okay but this is the thing and this is a theory i have don't you think that things um make more of an impact to you when you have to work harder to get that information absolutely i mean there was just i just read that people are happier with furniture from ikea than other furniture because they had to build it so you have a more vested interest and you're happier with that furniture even though it's from ikea than you are with other pieces because you worked so hard to like put it together really yeah I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's so like, much sense. There's a story about it on Into the Gloss today on how um, <laughs> one of our uh, our editor at Glossier um, 
just had to build build like two storage towers inside of the beauty cabinet with like three colleagues and she said it was better than any company retreat she's like ever been on in terms of in terms of increasing like productivity yeah. communication she's like just lock your employees in a closet and give them a piece of furniture to team build. building exercise and that that they'll come out a changed people well they should ju- that's the thing ikea should just do corporate retreats totally they're like factory totally <laughs> just get people especially because to- they'll have some assistance so in case everything goes really if there's like a code red there's like a red button you can hit and then yeah. they'll come in and be like all right give me the clerk and i'll like you know <laughs> i'll put it in with the flurg yeah and yeah. then i'll give it back to you guys and yeah. you can like keep going <laughs> so so when so did you know just to get back a little bit to what we were talking about a second ago like did you know what you wanted to do well i i just knew <clears throat> I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think I said, I want to be an editor in chief, you know, like I'm going to be the editor, an editor, you know, an editor. just cause you saw that in the magazine. Yeah, like, that was that's like the thing possible. on top. Yeah, you yeah. know, like, Oh, I get it. That must be the person who like, you know, kind of oversees the whole direction of, you know, where this story, this, this magazine's going. I was like, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like the 17 equivalent of like, you know, being in middle, in like elementary school and being like, I'm going to be a firefighter, like a doctor. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like suddenly you're like, oh, I get it. There's many things. And now you can be like, I'm going to be a, you know, JD, like, you know, assistant. It's like, you, you just understand there's so many more, there's so much more you can do. And also it's not our parents' generation where you're doing the same thing for 40 years. Right. So, um, so I thought I was going to definitely work in fashion or media and magazines and I guess in a way that's what I've done and in a way it's still very much like how I operate is from the idea from the from the from a very like conceptual point of view in terms of like how a, st- a story can be told and how it can become the most well-rounded mm-hmm. did you have an idea of like how you wanted to do that not at all I mean I I graduated I went to NYU for art school and I interned at I had several internships I interned at Teen Vogue magazine um for my entire college basically oh, so years. for like all four years yeah i think it was like three i didn't do it freshman year and what, um, what did you what did you get out of that experience? well what i got out of that is it's actually really helpful particularly because now i'm i started my own company um it's really helpful to have discipline and really understand how a, how a great company runs and Condé Nast is a fantastic company and um and to work at teen vogue and then you know, subsequently, when I graduated, I ended up being assisting um, the style director of, of Vogue. Uh, I ended up just understanding how all how there's all these departments and how all these departments need to fit together and how a story goes from beginning to middle to end to finish to print to, you know, just mm-hmm. the whole cycle of just how shit gets done. Um, that's what I you asked, like what I took away. And it's like I just took away like how business get like how good how a like how things come to fruition and come together and how teams work together. Um, Budgeting. I learned a lot about budgeting for stories, budgeting for shoots. I managed our budgets for all of our shoots, which is like, I mean, shocking. I can say this now, but I mean, I am not a numbers person. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I did a great job though. Yeah. On the budgets for the shoots. Yeah. And, um, just how to be professional, you know, it's helpful because now, even now we have, you know, we have a fantastic team of, uh, 30 plus people and many of them are you know just graduated or in their you know early 30s um, uh, and 
it's a lot of people's first jobs and we're not like the best model for, you know, how a storied seasoned company, right. you know, organization runs. We're inventing everything from scratch. You know, we're not reinventing the wheel, but right. we have to set up all of our own processes and our own systems. So, um, it was helpful to have some corporate experience, yeah, yeah. you know, do you remember, um, do you remember what that moment was like when, um, you made the transition to leaving school to, you know, kind of entering the workplace, workforce, like, full-time? Uh, yeah. What the moment was like, it was so scary. And it wasn't, like, seamless by any means. I had a job initially when I graduated that um, I left after, like, only, like, nine months, and even that was really scary because I'd never really, like, quit anything before. I'm not a quitter. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, and you think, and you always hear, don't be a quitter, right? right? But it's sort of like a relationship, too. It's like, you know, you don't want to tell someone, don't be a quitter, but you're, like, in a bad relationship, you know? It's like, sometimes you got to pull the plug for your own, like, development and personal growth. Um, So that... Uh, so that happened. And then I, I freelanced for a little while before I, uh, got my full-time job at, uh, with the style direct with Elisa Santizi, who's mm-hmm. now at, um, Bazaar, but was at Vogue before. How, and how did you end up working with her? I met her through another stylist at the time. And she told me she was looking for an assistant and I went and interviewed with her and she was the best boss. We had so much fun. Yeah, I'm what still did you- friends with like her family, her daughter, her husband, like we had a blast. Yeah. What, and what were the, th- what were the things that you learned from her? I mean, the things that I learned from her were how to, I think teamwork really, because she, you know, to have a fashion shoot, if you see any, you know, fashion shoot, and obviously now it's kind of like, who am I to say like what it's like behind the scenes? It's like, every, <laughs> oh, everyone, people love to get behind everyone, those scenes. Behind the scenes is no longer <laughs> behind the scenes. Everyone knows what goes on yeah. and what goes into fashion shoots and yeah. what goes into making runway collections. Like we've all seen it. Oh man. Um, but <laughs> to really live it and learn how to like manage different personalities and just, you know, help and also like make room for like magic to happen and not have everything totally planned there's a little bit of anxiety that i think is like really healthy in that well not a little bit it there's a lot of anxiety in the creative process right oh yeah no matter how much you plan you know there's going to be it's not going to turn out exactly how you wanted but sometimes that's really good and i think um i learned a lot about that from from working uh with elisa Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Just run me through a little bit how things like progress from there once you stopped working with her. Sure. Well, actually, so I, I ended up um, having the idea for Into the Gloss on the beach in Connecticut one summer, and it was the summer of 2010. Was it something you were looking to do? Were no, you... no. I was very inspired. I, I had started writing some beauty stories for <laughs> like just a, one or two for Vogue.com. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just pitched them. Like I found out, you know, the beauty editor and I never really met her, but I said, Hey, you know, can I write a story? I'd love to. You just cold emailed her. Well, yeah. I mean, she worked at the office, but she didn't know. I mean, I'm like a lowly assistant, right? right? But I wanted to write about something and I ended up writing it and I had had this huge aha moment that was like, Oh my God, I love talking about beauty. I just love beauty as a, as a category. And here I was this fashion obsessed person who's always oh I'm working in fashion I'm gonna work in fashion and I was like damn like it was this watershed moment being like actually you know beauty is even like deeper and closer in a way than fashion it's like such this you know connective tissue to like everyone like everyone has every woman has like a super you know unique relationship with beauty and and um for her whole life right and uh and and I um I ended up I remember telling my family and my boyfriend who's now my soon-to-be husband 
I think I'm going to launch a beauty blog. <laughs> and they were all like, my parents were like, great, you know, and he was like, awesome. And I, I kind of said, I, I think I'm going to go buy a camera. I'm going to take these profile pictures. And I want to, I want to go into women's bathrooms. I want to just get the lowdown. And I want to like really understand who, how all my heroes, all these like really cool women in fashion and just models and like makeup artists and just these really amazing women, like what, how, what they think about beauty, what products right. they love and how they got there. And, and I was like, nobody had, nobody was really doing anything like no that. No one, no one was really doing anything like that um, at the time because it was 2010. So mm-hmm. this was in internet years, like a really long time yeah. ago. And I think where, where things were then, it was very much like the dawn. It wasn't the dawn. It was kind of like a year into like street style. So it was when Tommy Ton and, you know, Phil O and street style was kind of just popping up, just gaining like really critical mass. It wasn't like just starting, but it was really, you know, available to everyone and everyone kind of knew everyone who follows fashion was kind of like, Oh, I'm going to go look at street style. Like this is so inspiring. We're seeing what everyone's wearing. And I was just thinking, no one's talking about beauty. Like no one's, you know, really exploring beauty style as an element of style. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like beauty is this fulfillment thing or it's kind of this, like it just wasn't personal and definitely wasn't elevated. And, in a way, and by elevated, I mean sort of taken seriously, frankly, like not just like, Hey, look at my like cute, like pink lipstick, but actually like, tell me about your relationship to lipstick. Like, you know, what does it mean for you? Like, have you, do you, are there any anecdotes about it? how right. it's, you know, really been a big part of your life at certain pivotal moments, you know, like, because it's, it's true. Like if you really sit down and talk to someone about beauty for like the length of this podcast, we would, we would have a whole story about Jay's top shelf. Yeah. Just, you know, you know my, yeah, it's just, uh, just this, <laughs> just beard oil, just beard oil, just Jay's beard bomb, Jay's beard bomb. Um, I mean, I like a good soap. Great. You know? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think, uh, so I was just really curious. I think looking back to learn one, to create something amazing to put out there into the world because I knew other people would like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Two, because also I just wanted to learn. I was I was just really inspired, and it was in a way like this very anthropological kind of study. And I didn't really understand what the end of it would be, or what the outcome, what what was it all going for. And and it's funny that it became very clear to me after, you know, a couple of years that there was actually this was not the end. This was not the final product. This was just the first product. And actually, we're going to get even closer, and we're going to create this whole world called glossier and and that's what we launched uh last year well when did when did it when did things start kind of clicking for you i think after two the first um so the first year i did it i was um still full-time at vogue had some amazing um collaborators and i remember seeing like those early the the photos i love those photos they're so good i remember like michael showing oh really yeah because michael did the site design right Yeah, yeah yeah So yeah, those photos were beautiful. Yeah. So I was really fortunate because, um, you know, I, I, I could, I, I kind of was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be able to take the pictures. I'm going to be able to like do these interviews, but I don't know the first thing about, you know, technology or coding or design really, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, just a lot. Right. And, and so I was really fortunate to be introduced to Michael Harper, um, in, September uh, of 2010. I think it was like September. I still remember we met at La Quotidian, and I remember him saying, so we talked about the, the, the idea for the site and, um, and he was like really into it. And he was like, okay, so like, when would you need it by? And I was like, 
I don't know, like two or three weeks. <laughs> and he was, he just laughed and he was like, okay, like, all right, yeah. let's do it. You yeah. know? And, um, and he did the most incredible job, um, just, you know, designing it and, and allowing kind of, you know, enabling the whole thing to come together. And, um, and yeah, and it was kind of like off to the races from there, but really just me and intern and Michael from afar still, I mean, we both had full-time jobs yeah. like every, you know, um, and then, you know, fast forward, like two years later, we'd done like so many interviews, you know, so many, so much amazing content. Really, there was a great response to this conversation we were having. It really became this kind of, you know, community around the content that really came at every day um, and, and wanted to see like our take on things. And, um, and I started feeling like there was like, I, I, I always feel weird saying this, but also it's the truth. Mm-hmm. So I kind of don't care, right. but I don't really know what it means. I remember thinking even after all this time, like even after two years of talking to all these women and trying so many beauty products myself and loving them, like loving products, i still felt like there was a, I felt like there was not a brand for me. And that sounds very selfish, right? And it probably is. It's probably, I mean, I don't you know, I think when I say for me, it's like, just being like a brand that kind of spoke to me with you know not at me but Mm -hmm. kind of with me and we were having the same kind of conversation like the ones I was having about with other women yeah a brand that was more like a real person right like less like a big brand big company that would just kind of decide what's good drop it off throw it over the fence and then you kind of catch it and you try it and you form your own opinions but you never really let them know and you know and and I was like wouldn't it be cool if there was a beauty brand that whose sweatshirt you would want to wear like as part of your outfit Mm -hmm. like a like a sweatshirt said like you know you know l'oreal like clinique or you know like like wouldn't it be cool if you were like oh like i'm like i'm gonna reach for that this morning and i'm gonna like wear that with like my cool like my you know it's like a it's 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 so i relate so much and identify so much to this company and its values and like all i'm almost a part of it Mm -hmm. that like this is that cool to me. Right. And like a band t-shirt. Kind of. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and I felt like, you know, in addition to that, I wanted to create something that was like really almost like this talisman. Right. And you do have that, not just the sweatshirt, the product, right. but it's like, you can have this common thread that we all, that connects all of us. And you can, you know, when, when, and when I think of Glossier and what it's becoming, and I say becoming because we're only a year old, you know, um, but when I look at, you know, the 8,000 hashtags on social media, or when I look at, you know, like our, you know, tens of thousands of customers and how they're engaging with us, it just, it does seem like a movement. And it seems like everyone's connected by this one moisturizer that's in their cabinet that yeah. they all love, you know? And you wanted to be a part of that. And I, well, I wanted that to be our, I wanted yeah. to make that, I wanted, I, you know, I, I didn't know there was, there no brand is facilitating that. But you know, what, that what was that process of. like for you? When like, did you, you have any idea? Like, you have the idea, but then like, what are the yeah. things that go into well, you know bringing it bring it to life? Yeah. So that's always been my weak spot is yeah. is that middle part. So, you know, the idea I'm okay with, right? Mm-hmm. And it's usually pretty, I think, solid. It's you know, the and then we'll get there. This is what I say to sometimes to like, I'm like, we'll get there. But if I'm kind of running ops on it, it's gonna be like kind of rocky yeah you know and any startup is frankly like because you're figuring a lot out you know and we're not looking to do things the same way that a lot of these you know other brands that we respect a lot that are you know 30 40 50 years old 
we're changing a lot of how they, you know, of, of how, of certain sort of best practices, you know? Um, but so what I did, which I think is actually like the biggest learning I've had professionally is hire incredibly talented people. That helps. And, um, and there's, it's funny, there's a word that sometimes people use when even like when they first start, I remember like my new assistant, like uh, a week ago, she said, we were just talking in conversation and she was, she said the word staff. And I was like, please, I don't like that word. Like, please say team. Yeah. Because staff implies like people who work for you that are like executing against like, you know, right. a very specific, I don't know. It just seems so, it just rubs me the wrong way. Right. It's like, don't call me Mr. Weiss. That's my dad's name. Yeah. Call me Emily. Kind of. It's like, we are a team and like most of the things mm-hmm. that are, go- that are happening are not my idea. They're mm-hmm. like Sarah's idea or they're Henry's idea or they're Ali's idea. And that's the way it should be. Right. You know? And I think like that's been the biggest learning. So when you ask how I, how it all happened, it happened because of an incredibly diverse group of really passionate team players, like a football team or but, like anything. Well, right? that's the thing. Do you feel that you're part of the team or do you feel like the coach? No, I feel like I'm part. In fact, I, I like want to be part of the team, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also responsible for being the coach, you know? Um, but I think the most motivating way to be the coach is to make a, a really set, a really clear vision, set a really clear kind of like vision, work with everyone on like aligning around one strategy like the strategy is also clear like loosely kind of like okay this year we're focusing on these three things or you know whatever it may be and then just letting everyone kind of like go and run with it and figuring out where I can be the most valuable at slotting in at certain moments to kind of say oh I think that's cool or I think that's you know have you thought of xyz but it's never to kind of say it's only to add value right you know well what what are some of the obstacles that you personally have had to deal with in terms of like, you know, getting all the stuff going. Well, I mean, launching a beauty company, launching a, a developing products is, let's just talk about products for a second. It's like, if you're a beauty editor, which I fell into mm-hmm. and I became, mm-hmm. I, although I was going to say like, can you be like a classically trained beauty editor? No, because <laughs> ultimately you start as a college student and then you get a job as an assistant beauty editor. And then, right. But I definitely didn't do that. Um, but my product standards are like crazy high. I've, I've tried a lot of things and I have a lot of opinions about, you know, about product and, um, and, uh, and so developing product, you know, um, thanks to, it could have never happened without like some really key collaborators and team members who, um, who brought, you know, previous expertise and, um, and, and could help me understand like, what works, what doesn't kind of like help, help me help round out that kind of armchair user perspective, which I have with like some real, you know, science chops and some real, yeah. Like, did you get to go into like labs where like the people are wearing like the glove? Like, well, no, here's the funny thing. That's actually, I feel like we should do a documentary or something because that's not how it is. Like we have a chemist we work with in Southern California who has like, two like he's a independent contractor chemist right so he's got his own lab he has his own lab um but it's very like it's sort of like a kitchen it's not like a you think of like i think of like men in black and like there's martians and there's it's so it's so you know 30 years into the future and everything it's really not like it's 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 sort of like 
mixology or, or, mm. or anything else. And there's, yes, there's incredibly sophisticated technological advances in ingredients. And yes, there's, you know, really stringent testing that every, you know, brand and product needs to go through to say, be able to say things like safe for sensitive skin and be able to say things like, you know, um, sunscreen, you know, that this is an OTC tested sunscreen right. and FDA approved, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, regular regulatory around beauty products, which I also didn't realize just, you know, how complicated it was. What was that like the first time you had to deal with like the FDA or something like that? Um, I mean, we, we actually are working on a sunscreen. Yeah right now and uh and even just that process is like a year-long testing you know regulatory process um we have a lot of international fans who can't you know have our products because in order to go international you have to create a special edition in special language of every product for that country so it's just it's 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 a it's not like a t-shirt right you can make a t-shirt you can can send send it. it all over the world you can you know Although I think I, I have heard that baby clothing also needs to go through special testing. Weird. Yeah. I wonder what those tests are I look don't like. Know. Like do I don't they have know. little baby dummies? I or don't like... know. I don't know. But to make sure that the that the the clothing is like safe for the baby. Oh, that's so wild. So um. Wait, so, so when you test, just out of curiosity, like when you test a sunscreen, is there just like a, like a person in there who they're just like rubbing the cream on their arm? So there are. <laughs> so I have not actually visited these testing facilities, yeah. but basically there are test groups of like 30, 40, 50 people, you know, women, and they'll do patch tests for like you know several weeks on like their you know backs or wherever it is, like a piece of skin to make sure there's no irritations, wow. to make sure you know. I mean, not necessarily for sunscreen, but for for example, for right. a product. Don't you want to go see that? though don't you want to go like stand in the room with a double-sided mirror and like have you done like that kind of stuff i don't even think they want that or like the focus group kind of thing we do that in a different i mean honestly i trust like our third party you know these these tried and true you know testing like Mm -hmm. places to be able to certify however they want i'm much more interested in talking to our customers and i'm much more interested in live feedback from just people in our office people who come to visit us people who bought the products i'm obsessed with talking to People who have bought Glossier are curious about buying Glossier. I ask them. I I, I I ask them on Twitter. I talk to them on Snapchat. I personally run our Snapchat right now. Yeah. I check I, every night. I go through every hashtag Glossier new photo that's come up on Instagram. I like every single one of them. Like, and you I think const- that's important for people to like have that kind of relationship. I don't even know whether or not I don't do it because it's like a marketing important thing. Right. I just do it because that is my number one gauge of like how excited people are about what we're doing, you know? And also I do get ideas. Like even on Snapchat last night, someone was like, Hey, I really think you guys should be making this like kind of blush and it's X, Y, Z. And have you ever thought of that? And I'm like, actually you're the third person who's told me this in the last like two months. So like, actually I'm going to go talk to Pauline about this and you know? Um, and so it's just inspiring. And if you think about it, I did this for years before where I really get off on like just interviewing people and like talking to them, learning their stories, learning, learning about what products they're into. And that hasn't changed. It's right. just that now I'm able to actually translate that into products that they'll love. I hope, you know, it's like, how can I give you, how can I like blow your mind and give you something that you're going to, you're going to use and you're going to be like, Glossier, you read my mind. Yeah. Like that's my favorite comment that we get is when people are like, you've done it yet. Like you've you nailed I, it. You, you, yeah. You've yeah. read my mind. This is exactly what I want in a brow product. You well, know? Uh, well, you know, you know, you're a year in, like how do you f- see yourself fitting into the beauty world? That's a really good question. It's interesting that you say like, how do you fit into the beauty world? Um, because the beauty world is, is, is really interesting. Um, it's a, 
quarter trillion dollar global market. Yeah. Um, and it's run by, you know, conglomerates who, a handful of, you know, multi-billion dollar corporations, um, with really storied legacy, you know, brands. There's not, you know, yes, there's a lot of new, there's new brands, but not as many, I think, as in like fashion, right? right? Like that, that achieve a certain scale. It's, it's hard to break in. And so in a way, I do feel like kind of the outsider in like... It's like a David and Goliath scenario. Yeah, almost. totally. Um, that being said, like the beauty industry has been really um, supportive of like everything that we've done for the last five years. Like we love trying everyone's brands. We talk about them on Into the Gloss for years and years. And um, and I've got some really great, you know, allies who I ask for for advice all the time because there's just so much I don't know. But it, it is interesting like how I see us in the beauty industry. I mean, I think... I guess I don't really think about think about it that much. That's cool. I try to. I really just think about how we can make great things for our not just product, but just even you know, digital product and. Well, well, then this goes into my next question. Then you know, how are things changing, and mm-hmm. how do you want to be involved in that change? I think what's one thing that's interesting is I think not just for the beauty industry, but for any industry. Um, I think authenticity is a, is a word that's being thrown around a lot as something that's important. And I think it really is. I think, um, you know, there are going to be, um, ultimately, uh, the most successful brands that we come to talk about again, you know, we'll look back on in 10, 20 years and mm-hmm. say in the, the, that will still be around. The reason they'll have stood out, I think is, is for a few reasons. I think, um, one, because they exist uh, for a really like passionate, authentic purpose and reason and are not kind of a gimmick or sort of like a marketing employer, like a, a lot of startups, you know, talk about kind of disruption and how we're going to do like, you know, a price cut or, uh, you know, like just, just kind of, um, it's, it almost seems like sometimes some companies now, cause it's so easy to start a company in a lot of ways, it's increasingly easier. Um, sometimes it's kind of like, you can tell it's kind of been thought of in like a lab or something like that, you know? Um, and so I think to have a really authentic, come from a really authentic place is, is really important, especially in beauty where the best brands really do la- have legs. It's not a flash in the pan. It's like a, it's a long game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing is that these brands will include their customers like never before in the, not just, uh, not just by like delighting them with like funny content or social media, but actually allow them to help build their company with that company. So there's a saying of like, they'll say it to me, they'll ask me, how do you make your customer, how do you make your customer feel involved? And I say, well, we don't make her, her feel involved. She just is involved. Right. Cause feel to feel involved implies like planning and plan. It yeah. implies like how scheming. Yeah. In a way it's like, you know, it's a marketing thing. Yeah. Um, so I think in a way, like the customer just will become involved, uh, will become just, ba- it's like baked into the DNA of the company, you know, that we want to, um, to know and to learn and to incorporate user feedback. Do you think that you can expand while still holding on to those ideas? I, I think scaling is going to be really hard and expansion's hard and it would be for, for any company. Um, the bigger you get, the fewer, the less knowledge flow there just is between teams and people. And, you know, I certainly won't be able to run our Snapchat like forever. Right. So there is a certain amount of magic that's able to happen when you're a company of 30 people that isn't able to happen when you're a company of 10,000 people. Right. Um, 
And I'm hoping that the digital products that we're building are going to continue to enable us to really scale that 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 knowledge. It's almost like if you look at, you know, G like Gchat, right? And you can have these like disparate conversations with like one pe- person, or then you can add another person. Imagine like Gchat, you know, mm-hmm. you, how you use Gchat. I don't know if you're familiar with Slack. Oh yeah. So our whole office is on Slack now. It's like the best thing that's happened because we all share links. You can really seamlessly like you know create these subgroups. Right. You can create private groups. You can create public groups. You can share, you know, like all of our PR news is now Sarah's just streaming it into, you know, into a PR channel. So you can look at it or you don't have to, or you can look at it at your leisure. You don't have to respond right away. And so I think, um, I think that, I think that it's, it's going to be okay. I think we can still keep every, get people even actually, I think it'll be better than okay. I think things can actually become um, much more scalable with regard to like just how involved we can, we can get people into the company what uh you know what are the things that inspire you to keep going um i think like the innovation that comes out of our team because um it's really really fun to to see like people getting really fired up and like having ideas and being able to actually approve those ideas. It's a funny thing. Like sometimes there've been a couple people who have worked other places who are still very junior in our company. And one of them said to me last week about something, she kind of like muttered something under her breath, like an idea. And, And I was like, excuse me. And she was like, Oh, nothing, nothing. And I was like, no, what did you say? And she was like, Oh, it's crazy. I can't, I, I, it, never mind. And I was like, no, tell me. And she told me, and it was like, I felt like I'd been living under a rock. I was like, that's the most obvious, good, like good, great right. idea that like I've ever, I've heard. And let's do this right away. Yeah. And she was, and it was like a really big, like it's, it's there. It was like a major initiative. And I was like, passed. Like, yeah. that's great. Why didn't I think of that? And I think people, and she was shocked. And I think just from her past work experience or, you know, maybe from like the fact that she's green in the workforce, um, you're just kind of trained to like kind of, you know, be seen and not heard. Right. 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 And I think that's great when it comes to dogs in the office, but it's not great when it comes to building, you know, building a new business or just being innovative, you know, was it always, you know, did you always find it easy to collaborate and work with people? No, I was not a good collaborator and I'm not easy to work with in a lot of ways. Um, it's something that I've kind of come around to, I think in my late twenties and like now at 30 and I hope to only get better and better because it's, it's a great feeling to be able to like really collaborate and really empower other people. What are the day-to-day, uh, you know, fears and stresses that you deal with? Um, running a company, running a business, yeah. being ultimately responsible. There's a great quote by, it's actually not, I, I guess it's a quote because it's from his book, but one of my favorite books is um, Ben Horowitz's book. He's a venture capitalist um, and now author, and his book is called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And he's built humongous companies, like hundred, you know, million dollar companies. And, um it's a terrifying, it's a real kick in the pants to read this book, but I read it once in a while because it just like always gives me some idea of like how I should be operating differently. And the shortest chapter in the book is two pages long. It's in the middle. And the title of the chapter is nobody cares. (laughs) And basically it just says, he said, someone said to him once when he was complaining about some issue, you know, to one of his board members or his advisors and the advisor just looked at him and he said, Ben, 
nobody cares. Just do your fucking job. <laughs> and it's kind of true. Like at the end of the day, it's like, no one cares. Just make it work. Like yeah. make it just fix, do it, fix it, you know? And, and so things can be stressful because I know that ultimately nobody cares and I just need to kind of like make it work. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, I just don't want to fuck it up. Like that's like the biggest stress, right? Mm-hmm. It's like stakes will just keep getting higher and higher. And right. And like all it's like, it's, it's, it's not getting easier. No, no, know? absolutely not. I mean, some things get easier, but that's the thing, you know, there's that other phrase people always say, it's like, um, things don't get easier. You just get better. Right. So it's like certain things that may have been incredibly stressful to me nine months ago. Now, if that same thing happens, I'm not, I know how to handle it. I'm not stressed. It's like, it's like a level two, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, fundraising and venture capital and like managing just, there's just a lot, you know, yeah. but I, again, I, I come back to the fact that we're in a, we're in a really lucky place, which we weren't always of, um, of, of having, you know, uh, great like core competencies around the table. Like we have a VP finance. We've never had that before, right. you know, like that's, that's great. That's cool. It's a good thing I'm not paying our bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big trouble. So um, so that helps. Well, what's next for you guys? What's um, next for you? Uh, what's next is um, we we launched um, we launched this really awesome game. I would actually describe it as a game changer. This product called Boy Brow a few weeks ago. Um, and we're moving into holiday when we launched this like the favorite thing my fa- I say this and I'm, I swear to god I've never said it before it's the it's my favorite thing we've ever made mm-hmm. it's this chocolate box um inspired it's face masks it's these little pods that look like Nespresso pods of our face masks okay um but in like a chocolate box kind of situation yeah with like a stretchy headband that you can use when you go to like wash your face and face mask and it's the most beautiful object I think like we've ever made oh that's so cool and we just launched that so I'm really excited to see how people like it. And then what's cool, though, about what's next is that, you know, we only launched about we, – we, we wanted to be really tight and really curated last year in this year, I guess. So we've only launched, like, a handful of products. And next year we have so many cool products, like, coming out. So I'm just excited for, I guess, like, the momentum – because yeah. every we are a product company, and so everything we do is kind of starts with like a new thing we make, um, and then and next year we have so many new things, and they're also like really shaping up to be really great. So that's what I'm most excited about is just like the phase we're in now, where I think the momentum is really like there, and we'll hopefully just keep going. Well, that's great. I think that's a great place to end it. Cool. Emily Weiss, thank you so much. Thanks, Jay.